What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Hey there, everybody. Tom Rose, Gary Bauer with you. The Bauer and Rose Show and the Bauer and Rose Podcast right here on Sirius XM, the Patriot Channel 125. Our podcast available wherever you get your podcasts. But in order to continue to receive them, you're going to have to hit the like button, the subscribe button, and give us... Do they allow six-star ratings? I don't know. I mean, maybe um, when I'm off and Bauer's doing the show, you'll get a six-star rating. But well, with, the, with inflation, Tom, a six-star rating is equivalent <laughs> of a five-star rating just a few months ago. Okay. You've got a lot you want to talk about. I have one thing I want to talk about. Yeah, this but will take like an hour. I know your one things. Go, go on. Take the show again. Hijack the show, Thomas. All right. I'm, I laughed so hysterically in a way. Did you ever see the movie The Longest Day the, about D-Day, John Wayne, Henry Fonda, Gregory Peck? I mean, just a great, yeah. a great old movie about D-Day. There was a scene in it when the Allied flotilla of 7,000 ships is coming toward the beaches. And one squadron commander, one Luftwaffe squadron commander has two planes and he's told by his officer to go attack this flotilla, which is an obvious, I mean, they're dead. It's a suicide call and they just collapse laughing. That's what I, that's how I reacted to this story the other day, the drowning of our, the downing of our MQ-9 Reaper drone. And uh, John, drowning. yeah, the, and drowning, correct. The, National Security Spokesman John Kirby uh, says officially in his reproach to the Russians, this was unsafe, unprofessional, and environmentally unsound. Uh, those are fighting words, Tom. Those are, look, when you, when you have sped up global warming, Biden will nuke you. He may humiliate himself and us by his feckless withdrawal from Afghanistan, which we shouldn't laugh about because not only did 13 U.S. soldiers, U.S. Marines die, but dozens and dozens and dozens of others suffered grievous wounds. You know, he lets a Chinese communist balloon fly over the uh, United States. Only after its work was done does he shoot it down over international waters. But when you, you're right, when I heard them this week, Bring up the environment as a reason why the Russians were bad guys. I mean, it's seriously, it, Kirby belongs on Saturday Night Live. I mean, he could, he could have a great career with his deadpan comedy because he's, he's got to be pulling our leg, right? When he says things like that. I, I don't know what, did you hear the other big story, Tom? Maybe I can't remember if we talked about this. In, in, while all this was happening, the Air Force chose uh, the 24-hour period after the downing of this drone 
to announce a massive new increase in personnel. They're hiring a diversity uh, equity officers from Alaska all the way to Florida to put on every U.S. air base. The salary will be between 88000 and 185000 uh, in order to ensure that when and if we lose the next war, we do it with a uh, an air force that completely uh, reflects the makeup of the U.S. Uh, population. I mean, we can't meet our own recruitment standards, our own recruitment goals, because not only are the overwhelming majority of those young people who, who want to enter the military obese or physically unfit, overweight, but uh, now that gender and skin pigmentation or lack of gender, if you will, are more important than meeting military standards, um, we're engaging now or claiming to engage now, and you and I disagree on the broader perspective, but on this point, I think we agree. This administration has done to the military what Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping could only hope to have done through nefarious or malicious actions. We have woke our military. Our military now is more concerned about Russian fighter planes dumping gasoline on the back of American drones and the environmental damage that that will cause. They're more concerned about that than they are in effective force project, uh, projection and effective force protection. Um, this is this is the problem that we face. I think that that a lot of folks. Um, don't either they don't understand they don't appreciate and when i say a lot of folks i'm not talking about our listeners i'm talking about folks that 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 make our policy um our military assistance to ukraine you and i disagree on the extent of it or the purpose of it but i think where you and i do agree is that there has been no effective articulation of what exactly our policy is if anything, our continued military assistance to Ukraine without a grand strategic purpose or policy is only going to lengthen this conflict, which cannot sustain American support that's already happening. Biden's approach and even now some Republican presidential aspirants approach, all they're able to articulate, all they're able to state is that, quote unquote, we have to stay in this conflict for as long as it takes. Well, that wasn't FDR's approach in World War II. It certainly wasn't Abe Lincoln's approach during the Civil War. All that will do is to guarantee a longer war, a more murderous war, a permanently destabilizing conflict, which can't sustain indefinite American support. And I mean, even for those like me who do argue, we should do what we can to defend allies and partner partners that, that, that face absolutely unprovoked aggression. It's a policy that is destined for failure. Well, Tom, there is so much to unpack there. Um, I, I heard our, uh, our, our, uh, always certain, uh, our, never in doubt. Yeah. Uh, Lindsey Graham, uh, on Hannity the other night. And 
Lindsey Graham said, what would Ronald Reagan do if the Russians shot down one of our drones? I'll tell you what he would do. He would shoot down their drones. No, he would. He there's didn't. No there's KAL no 007. Remember the shooting down of the Korean airliner in uh, 1983 that killed two or three congressmen that were on board that flight? Yeah. I mean, he raised heaven and hell, but he sure as hell didn't attack the Russian military. No, he, he didn't. And this bravado... And this constant chess beating, I look, Tom, I, I don't know if our disagreements are that great or not. I, I, I think Putin is a despicable person. I believe if we don't engage in a major military buildup uh, and, and a major uh, patriotic buildup in our schools, uh, we're going to lose the next world war to communist China. Before it starts. And, and that war could start at any time, or it's possible it already started. And the Chinese communists have figured out that they can almost win a war as long as they don't declare it. Uh, you know, just release a virus that kills the millions of it, shuts down our economy and, and contributes to uh, uh, the removal uh, at, uh, of a president that was the toughest president uh, toughest administration on communist China in our history. Uh, I mean, you, you, there's a lot here. I, I suspect this is one of the reasons there's such a desperate effort to not nail down that the, that it did indeed the virus came out of the, the Wuhan lab. But in, in the bigger the bigger picture, Tom, the, the, we, the rhetoric that Lindsey Graham is using and 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 the rhetoric that a lot of other people are using. I believe is walking us right back in to why we have not won a majority of the Republican, the, a majority of the popular vote in a presidential election, I think now for five elections in a row. Even when we win, we're not winning with a majority of the popular vote. Uh, and that is, we are, we're walking in to being pictured as the party that wants to cut your social security and wants you to be in never ending wars. And I'm telling you, Tom, that will not beat even a befuddled Joe Biden and a, I don't even know what adjectives to use, Kamala Harris. It just won't. That is, that is the vision we're presenting to the American people. Um, that we, we just were missing the fact that we haven't been in a big brouhaha somewhere where we're spending billions of dollars securing the borders of some other country while our own are as porous as I don't know what. And, uh, and by the way, uh, it's a really important. We need to, uh, the social security is going to fail in X number of years unless we make reforms. We will never get a chance to make the reforms. We will never get the chance to rebuild the military because the American people are not getting up in the morning saying to themselves, you know, grandma's social security check is just too dang big. And uh, boy, what I really would like to see uh, Biden do today is uh, is uh, knock down a couple of Russian aircraft. That would be a really good idea. 
Look, I, I, I'm going to throw a five-yard penalty flag on one thing. No, but I, see, I don't understand. Uh, d- does anyone truly believe that if we stop all assist, if Joe Biden stops all assistance to Ukraine, he's going to close our border? He's not going to do a damn thing about our border. He wants it open. That's the whole point. I think it's kind of a, a false argument. I think a better argument that you could make from a from an America first perspective would be that the security of freedom throughout the world depends today more than ever before, ultimately, on the health and strength of our economy here at home. There's no defense for any country, let alone our own, not to mention that of our allies, which uh, at the same time destroys its own economy. We can't help Ukraine. We can't help anybody else unless we first take the necessary steps to help ourselves. But, Tom, our economy is being destroyed, at least in part, because it is impossible to be economically responsible when um, we are expected to carry everyone's burden in fighting the bad guys. The European Union's economies equal our own. And they are not doing a tenth of what we are doing. Why? Because we keep letting them get away with it. We subsidize their socialism by taking care of their national defense. Trump, to the chagrin of a whole lot of people in the Republican Party, took that on for four years. He said to NATO, if you want us to continue to be part of NATO, you need to meet your commitments. They paid him lip service. They made some improvements. And as soon as he was gone, they made a lot of improvements. We got actually Trump got, we got $400 billion in new spending commitments. And if you do, well, where is it? It's there. It's starting. It doesn't happen instantly. You're right. We're carrying the preponderance of the burden. But the Europeans, first of all, there, there are three elements here. There's the EU, which is an economic union. There's NATO. Uh, and then there's the United Kingdom. If you add all of those together, it amounts to about, you're right, it's about one third of what we're doing. Now, If we viewed properly, and this is Tom Rose speaking, not Bauer, if we viewed properly our assistance to Ukraine as every bit as much assistance to ourselves, we've got this long overdue um, uh, deferred capability problem here, which we can't put off much longer if we're going to confront China and or threats in East Asia. Um, that's why I think it's in our interest. The more stuff we move to Ukraine, the older stuff, the more able we're going to be to develop. I mean, and we, this is a serious problem. Our military industrial capacity has atrophied. We've now given 13 years worth of supplies of Javelin missiles to Ukraine. How many we have left? I have no idea. HIMARS, we're seven or eight years behind. We need to massively ramp up our own military capability, our own military supply chains. The Taiwanese 
Biden's not going to do that either, Tom. You just said that if we didn't do anything in Ukraine, uh, it's ridiculous to think that Biden would secure the border. I don't think he's going to secure the border. He's also not going to massively increase the American defense budget. And his party controls the United States Senate. So it's not going to happen. So every weapon that is being uh, used in the battlefield of Ukraine is not going to be replenished by this president. It's just not. That more importantly, Tom, we're heading into this greater and greater involvement without ever having an open debate. That's true. In the United States That's Congress about why we are risking this with a nuclear armed Russia. Why are we risking this? What is the vital national interest of the United States? I can make the case about why Taiwan is in the vital national interest of the United States. What about Poland? Is Poland in the vital national interest if, of the United States? If they attack Poland, Tom, it's World War III because Poland is a member of NATO. Right, but you know, why would we want – here's my question. Why would we want – talk about – see, this is where I argue and and Biden has done a pathetic job articulating this. No Republican is good – uh, has done a particularly good job of articulating this. Our goal, our purpose should be a Reagan-esque approach to prevent World War III. So why allow Russia to rub right up against a NATO ally where the chance of conflict is infinitely greater than it is in a, in a buffer state like Ukraine? No one is arguing. No, I haven't heard anybody, not even Lindsey Graham, argue that an American boot should be on the ground. As to the argument that, well, our massive supply of weaponry to Ukraine puts us in direct conflict with Russia, there's a risk of that. There's no question. But we supply arms to everybody in the world. Can't that same argument be made for the Saudis and Yemen or Iran? Or well, Tom, we're, we're doing more than supplying arms. We're, yes, we're, we are. We're, we are using the drones and other equipment to monitor Russian troops. Providing real-time intelligence. So that the Ukrainian military can more effectively kill as many Russian soldiers as possible. That's that are in are. Ukraine. Russian soldiers that have invaded you. Look, I don't have an answer to uh, what our grand strategic policy should be, but Ukraine should be part of it and not the sole extension of it. And that's the problem I have on both sides of this argument. The one argument, the Biden argument is, well, we got to we got to support Ukraine. Why do we have to support Ukraine? Because we have to support Ukraine. What's our end game? Fight as long as it takes. That's not a strategy. That's a reactive approach. And it's Tom, it's but loves being a wartime president. He loves it. You're going to get him reelected, my man. That's what you're going to do. You're going to get him reelected. Because he thinks. So, he do you think up. the? Do, do you think most people? What is your idea then? We just cut off all aid tomorrow, and and I mean, what's the answer here? Well, I mean, the the you know the one place where we would have agreed was before any of this happened. We should have been making it clear that if they crossed a particular line, it was war. But having failed to do that, You're right. what we're doing now 
is step by step. You're right. You're absolutely right. I agree with you. A disaster. I, I agree with you, and that's the problem with incrementalism in war. Now, the problem with full-throated, you know, full-scale attack is you're dealing with a the world's largest nuclear power. But we got to take a break when we come back. I was going to say more of your calls, but we don't take calls on the Baron Rose Show. I can that... call you if you'd like. I might be the only one to word you. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome back, everybody. Tom Rose, Gary Bauer with you. The Bauer and Rose Show right here on Sirius XM, the Patriot Channel 125, our podcast available wherever you get um, your podcasts. <laughs> We're, what, a week into this uh, banking crisis. It's now spilled overseas. Credit Suisse, which is one of the largest global banks, uh, almost a 200-year-old Swiss institution, they've had – They've had problems of their own for a couple of years, but now, of course, the Democrats are blaming Donald Trump for the banking crisis that has emerged on Joe Biden's watch. I love how he blames the Ukraine war on Donald Trump when it breaks out when Joe Biden is president. He blames the deficits on Joe on Donald Trump when Joey Biden is the president. And then Joey, uh, can we call him Joey? Do you mind if we now call him Joey? I, I, I think we're probably doing him a favor to call him Joey, given the other possibility, possibilities we have of what we could call him. Well, you know, Joey's dad, when he saw, you know, two males kissing in high school, Joey's dad tells him 50 years ahead of the game, Joey, they love each other. That's what two people who love each other uh, do. Uh, everything... I mean, it's it really is a punch and Judy show. Everything positive of which there's very little is to the credit exclusively of Joe Biden and everything that's negative, which is rather extant, is Donald Trump's fault. Yeah. Well, you uh, go figure, Tom, the the uh, a couple months before the congressional elections, Biden's uh, approval rating was uh, down around 38, 39 percent. It is now 45 percent. It's 45%. You know why it's 45% in my view, Tom? Because people think we're going to go to war. And they, re, they, they rally around a president when they think we're going to go to war. So the question should be, are we going to be able to defend the freedom around the world if Joe Biden's in office, not for two more years, but six more years? I, I mean, I, I just don't think we're thinking it through. Um, and I, I think every, I, I think he's going to get, before it's over, the way, the, the way the, the, the war, 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 war wing of the Republican Party is dominating the news. It dominates on Fox. It dominates on the Sunday talks. He will have the advantage of actually being a wartime president, but getting a peace vote because a segment of the public will conclude, my God, I don't like what we're doing, but if those Republicans get in, 
my city's going to be glowing before they're done. I, so I, I think we have a huge, a huge problem. Uh, and I, I, Tom, I will never understand how my neoconservative friends um, can agree with the rest of us that Joe Biden is a disaster, that he's weak, he has never understood foreign policy, uh, can agree with us that the military is being turned into a woke mess of I don't know what, how you can think those things and believe one of the really good ideas is to have this worthless president and this compromised military get into a bigger war. It makes no sense. Let's say we browbeat him and browbeat him and browbeat him and he finally sends F-16s and the finest equipment and we put our, uh, take the Navy back to the Mediterranean, put it in the Black Sea. Let's, yeah, we do all that. So you think Thoroughly Modern Millie and uh, Commander-in-Chief Joe Biden is going to conduct a war that we could be proud of. They won't. They'll just put more men and more equipment in harm's way. There is no reason in the world to believe that even with more investment, more money, more weapons, that we would do what it takes to win in Ukraine. What's the Bauer plan? To remove Joe Biden from the White House. Because <laughs> nothing is going to be done, Tom, that helps this country until the left is not in control. Well, that's absolutely what? true. Uh, President Trump, uh, the other my, day— By the way, let me finish the answer to your question. My plan is that three months ago, six months ago, nine months ago, and if we didn't do it, but let's start doing it now— we use our considerable diplomatic power and our military leverage to get Ukraine to the peace table with Russia. Not let she do it. Not, you know, the way they just did it in the, in the Middle East. We do it. And that means a negotiation takes place, which if it is a successful a negotiation, Putin will not get everything he wants, and neither will Zelensky. But we buy time, time where we can then get the country to focus on the real danger, which is communist China, time to build up our military, time to make the other reforms with a Republican president and a hopefully Republican Congress before it is too late. I'm I'm wondering whether um, see my thought here is obviously it harkens back to what you uh, alluded to very early in the show today, and that is uh, partnership from our partners, a peaceful Europe, uh, one that carries its weight, is going to be a much stronger partner helping us confront Beijing than a Europe mired in war and a Western Europe 
at loggerheads with Eastern Europe about how to deal with an aggressive Russia. See, I think a strong president would realize that most of the money we've dedicated to Ukraine's defense is in fact being spent right here in the United States and will force us to modernize our own military machinery as a result of us and our allies transferring our older kit and equipment to Ukrainians. Um, You mentioned fighter jets and this uh, uh, broke late in the week on Thursday of uh, this last week that that Poland has now agreed uh, to immediately transfer some of its older uh, Warsaw Pact Soviet uh, fighter jets to Ukraine. That that scares me for one reason, and that is, look, if I'm Ukraine, I totally get where Zelensky's coming from. My country was invaded. I'm defending my country. I'm at war. I'm fighting for my existence. But you give him the power and capability to strike deep in the heart of Russia, that could very well change the equation. And since we do not have in articulated policy, we don't have what, and I'm afraid to, to mention him, may he rest in peace, Colin Powell argues, an exit strategy. Since we don't have that, I think that is threatening. I agree with Henry Kissinger on that. We have to make sure from our perspective that the war in Ukraine remains in Ukraine. Yes, that gives Russia a pass, but you know we're not um, this isn't jeopardy and there aren't fixed rules and not everything in life is fair and not everything in life works out. Um, so that that would scare me a bit. Well, Tom, you, you asked a little while ago about um, you thought it was disingenuous to make the argument that why are we spending billions to safeguard the borders of Ukraine when we won't spend money to secure our own borders? And you correctly pointed out, well, if even if we stop spending billions to help Ukraine, um, Joe Biden's not going to spend uh, money to secure our own borders. Uh, I'm trying to address the growing cynicism of the American people about whether anybody gives a darn about them. Uh, and I believe the policy that we as Republicans are buying into with Joe Biden is, is causing a growth in the idea that if you live in flyover country, uh, where East we get Palestine, most Ohio. of the young men, most of the young men and women that fight our wars, uh, nobody cares in Washington or New York or, in uh, the, the the councils of war, nobody cares whether um, your schools are being overrun, uh, overrun with uh, countless new students that are speaking eight different languages. Nobody cares if trains go off the ra- uh, the rails and your air is poisoned. Nobody cares whether your son's name is on the wall in Washington of people that died in Vietnam for a war we wouldn't win, for a country that is now our ally and is helping us contain China. But your son, you missed out on all the things that you should have had with that young man or young woman that you loved. Tom, we we are running this country in a way that it's getting harder and harder 
for average Americans to love it. They certainly despise their own government leaders, even though they still love America. And, you know, I guess, I guess Biden won't secure the border. But everybody in the country that has, you know, has two cents of common sense knows it wasn't just the Democrats that stopped us from building the border wall. It was the Democrats and the Republican Party establishment that stopped us. It was the Republican establishment, the Democrats, and the military establishment. Our own military establishment, Tom, stopped us from securing our border. The people running the Pentagon right now would not provide troops to Donald Trump to secure our own border. This just doesn't add up at the end of the day. I, you know, it's the, it's the, the peanuts cartoon. Lucy keeps pulling that football out just when it's getting ready to be kicked. So over and over and over again, we keep telling the American people, tighten your belt. Give us your son again, because this one's really important. Um, by the way, we'll win it. We'll win it. Oh, don't worry about all those Chinese crossing the border. Hey, by the way, you better you better have a gay pride week at your school, because, man, if you're not, you're a bigot. Uh, and, and uh, you know, keep your religion to yourself. We're not interested in any of that. And if your daughter joins the military, we're going to teach her how she's supposed to not notice when there's men claiming to be women in the showers with her because she wanted to serve her country. This whole complex of stuff doesn't add up anymore, Tom. It's why Donald Trump was elected. It's why the, there's a desperate effort by the Democrats, the media, and the Republican Party establishment to make sure he doesn't get elected again. You know, if you, if you step back and look at the history of the country, the history of our settlement project, you know, 400 years, the story of America until very recently has been one of difficulties being overcome, being overcome by intelligence, by skill, by faith, by strength of purpose, by our vast material wealth that we turned into unrivaled power. The story of America is a story of human achievement that has no peril in the long annals of man. I mean, we transformed a literally, unin I know the Native Americans are actually the Native American lobbyists will get upset. Native Americans, not, not necessarily so. A largely uninhabited continent into the supreme artifact of history. Now, we've got all kinds of problems. We've had terrific problems, and we've worked hard to solve them. And what has distinguished Americans from everyone else on the planet for probably 360 of our 400-year existence here as first a colony and then a country has been um, the fact that we overcome hardships, that the American people are above all a problem-solving people. We don't believe there's anything in – we used to believe that there's anything in the world beyond our ability to solve. Um, and that was dependent on 
individual accountability, on an entrepreneurial work ethic, on hard work, on going to church, on being good to your community. So, you know, America sails on. And the long-held belief that Americans will never give up, that we're always full of essential goodwill toward each other. Uh, you know, when you look back on our past and you look forward to our future, and I know we're a couple of, uh, of older guys, and older guys are always accused of poo-pooing uh, the future um, because of the glories of our past. But I'm wondering whether or not this country, this experiment, this demonstration of human capability uh, is not going to disappoint humanity in the future. Oh, Tom, look, I think, I mean, I, I think that's, if, if, you, if you had to bet, I mean, look, you, 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 a conservative cannot go to a university campus and give a speech without calling out the army. I mean, not, not just a few institutions, institutions all over the country. We, we are in the middle of a national debate uh, over whether or not men dressed like they're women should be brought into schools and libraries to read to little children. And if you try to say that's a bad idea, you are mocked, you're labeled a bigot, you're called a fascist. And the battle, this battle, it's happening all over the country. How did we wake up one morning and a whole bunch of adults in America thought it was really important that adult weirdos get to talk to little children about matters related to sexuality? How, how did that happen in America? What the heck was the party of tradition and values doing when this was seeping through the schools, through the culture, through all the places that matter? Were we too busy fighting wars, protecting everybody else's freedom around the world to notice what was happening right here in the United States? Tom, we're in the middle of insanity. Christian schools are being banned from sports unless they agree to play against teams that have men on them pretending that they're women. The entire National Library Association is in the hands of the LGBT uh, movement. They've, it's been in their hands for at least a decade. They've held conferences to work out how to frustrate parents trying to get pornography out of the local library. All the steps you need to go to so that that parent will f eventually tire and, and go move on with trying to figure out a way, a way to make enough money to pay their mortgage. I got a theory. I got a theory. My theory is the – look, America's always had problems. We've had racism. We've had slavery. We've had Jim Crow. We've had segregation, all of which, by the way, were byproducts of uh, Democrat Party politics. But something happened, and I want to get your thoughts on this. Something happened 
between the Great Depression and John Kennedy, where television emerged, radio emerged, um, and you know, big city newspapers had their heyday. Whereas, ever you know, prior to that, the owners of these institutions were the most powerful ones. And then when you have TV, you have the emergence of television personalities, the Walter Cronkites, those people who um, enter our homes every night, so that there was a huge cultural shift in power from those uh, who made it themselves and built businesses and had the responsibility of businesses to those who sat behind the camera or sat behind the edit desk, the shift in power in the media, um, obviously that was singularly responsible for the election of uh, Jack Kennedy, I think reinforced the advantage of um, courting these media personalities. I mean, media bias in favor of Kennedy was 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 overwhelming, and uh, it's only gone from there. Where now we have. This intellectual class are so-called elite betters whose purpose is not to support the culture or buttress the culture or uh, to make it more familiar, but to attack it, to be hostile to it. And that's had an unbelievably corrosive effect and I think is on the verge of wrecking us. Well, look, I mean, I you're talking to the guy that's been talking about this stuff for decades, um, yeah, but I just used a lot bigger words that most people, including myself, don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Tom, I was attracted to Ronald Reagan uh, because of that 64 speech uh, when he said the world couldn't uh, be, you know, half slave and half free. We'd have to use, either choose American freedom uh, or uh, Soviet slavery. Uh, and I, I was galvanized by that. I, I immediately you know, made it my life's goal to work for him. I thought he would be president someday. I told my father that. My father laughed at me. You know the story. Um, um, when I got to the, when I got into the administration, uh, there was a public policy, there was a meeting at the public policy uh, shop under Marty Anderson. And uh, I was a nobody. I was, I didn't even have a seat at the table at that point. I was sitting in one of the chairs around the room. And we had a meeting. The meeting was about what the agenda was going to be for the first year and all the different issues, most, most all of which I agreed on. Um, but what, what jumped out at me was that none of the values things that, that Reagan had made such a mark on, you know, he wanted to bring prayer back in the schools. I mean, he campaigned that elect me president because I'm going to bring prayer back into the schools. Uh, he was pro-life with no exceptions, by the way. Um, and none of those things were being mentioned in this meeting. And um, so when the meeting was breaking up, I was thinking about that, and I kind of just shook my head in disgust. And Marty Anderson happened to be looking at me and saw my obvious chagrin, and he goes, uh, just a second, everybody. And he points at me, he goes, you have a problem? And I kind of looked around and I go, who? And he goes, you. Uh, and I said, no, I don't have a problem. He goes, what, what's your name again? Uh, Gary Bauer. Well, you obviously, something's bothering you. 
Uh, I mean, you, you, you look like you were in distress here as the meeting was over. And I said, well, I was just thinking, Mr. Anderson, about the fact that uh, nobody put on the table any of these really important issues related to preserving our Judeo-Christian civilization, as Reagan puts it, Western civilization, which is more than marginal tax rates. It's also about these other things. And literally, he let out a little laugh, as did a number of the other libertarians in the room. And he goes, uh, <laughs> uh, okay, Bauer, uh, those are your issues. And everybody walks out of the room, and I'm sitting there thinking, those are my issues. What is that? Is that like you're the only one that cares about them? Yeah. So I called Ed Meese, who was my sponsor, and I described for him what happened. And he goes, huh, that is a little unusual. Well, here's how I would take it, Gary. I would take it that uh, Marty just gave you those issues. And I said, well, what does that mean? And he goes, well, what I think it should mean is start writing memos to the president about those issues. Tom, I am a nobody in the Office of Policy Development. And I said, Mr. Meese, you want me to write memos to the president about these things? He goes, yeah, Gary. So I started writing memos to the president. We did that for quite a few months without hearing anything. Uh, and eventually I got called uh, in and told the president loved those memos wanted to see them. Anytime they came in personally, he wanted to see them. And he was so impressed by them, he wants to nominate you to be the Deputy Undersecretary of Education in charge of a $15 billion budget because a lot of these issues were related to education. And that's what set off my whole career in those eight years, which eventually brought me back to be in the West Wing of the White House in the position that Marty Anderson had running the Office of Policy Development and having lunch every Monday with the President of the United States. Because no one in the Reagan administration was much interested in those values issues. You know, his Ronald Reagan's time for choosing speech, I, of course, was um, uh, a babe in the crib, so I I can't really (laughs) say that I, I remember it, but We'll eat in closing, as we're going to close this podcast and this show, uh, he paraphrased Abraham Lincoln, we'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence him to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. That paraphrased also Churchill, that dark ages are, are never farther than the next corner, and every decision we make, every policy option we choose or don't choose will light us down unto the latest generation in honor or dishonor. That's where we are. That's where we've always been. And we're out of time. Yeah. One, one final thought, Tom, uh, that, that uh, the homework today, since I was formerly uh, the undersecretary of education, homework is to reread or actually uh, watch Ronald Reagan's farewell address, because in it, he, uh, toward the end, uh, says what he's really worried about. And what he was really worried about was that the rising generation, not having uh, the same advantage that many of us did of having neighbors and friends that had fought in World War II uh, and not knowing the sacrifices uh, of liberty, not knowing what America really stands for, 
uh, would not be uh, educated correctly to preserve this country and our liberty um, in the future. And that's exactly what's happened. Um, the, the, is Putin a danger to our liberty? Yeah, I suppose so, although I'm much more worried about communist China. But a greater danger to our liberty are, are the little left-wing uh, fascists and Nazis that uh, intimidate conservatives, have taken over campuses, have marched through our institutions, are in control of our culture. And if we don't win that war, uh, none of these other wars people want to get us into are going to matter. Is uh, Kentucky going to make it into the sweet 32, the final 32? I, I, I just want them to win the first round, Tom. I, <laughs> well, that's, I, uh, that, that was the question. Yeah. The final yeah, 32. I, I think it's a flip of the coin. Um, well, that's the way it always is. Anyway, March Madness uh, kicked off this weekend. And all um, right. Is the uh, first round in earnest, right? Well, this is a Sunday show, Gary. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> to our trusted uh, producer, produce that right out of there. If you leave it in, make it sound like that was Tom. Have a, have a great week, everybody. We'll talk to you next week.